morning. There it is. Uh, when I was on, on Christmas break, I watched uh, a movie that I'd, I'd seen a long time ago. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you know it. It's called Last Holiday. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the movie Last Holiday. There's a handful of people. Uh, Queen Latifah uh, plays a, a store clerk in a big department store. She's kind of a cook, one of those display cook kind of people. And a super timid person, you know, keeps to herself, doesn't really make her opinions known to anybody. Uh, very, very frugal, constantly saving cooks these beautiful elaborate meals but never eats them because she's worried about her diet, you know. All, all work, no enjoyment, uh, nothing for herself, never pipes up, kind of this quiet, mousy person. And the story of the movie line is that she's diagnosed with a terminal illness and told that she has weeks to live, right, all of a sudden. Uh, she, has, she hits her head and kind of ends up with an MRI, and, and that's what they find out. And so she, the whole film is she cashes in all of her savings, and she flies to this extravagant hotel somewhere in the mountains in Europe and you know, the, the, the chef that she has admired her whole life is the chef at this place and so she just wants to eat his food and, and maybe meet the guy and, and it's, the whole film is about her starting to do these things that she would never do like when it comes to, to money, when it comes to how she treats and thinks about people uh, and so she encounters all these kind of snooty wealthy people in this place and she becomes the favorite of all of them Right? Everybody loves her. The hotel staff love her because she's kind and she doesn't really care about what people think. Right? She speaks her mind because, well, she's going to die. What does she have to lose? Right? And so she does things like go skydiving and skiing that she's never tried before, snowboarding. And it's kind of the whole premise of the film is her in this idea of if you had a couple weeks left to live, what would you do? Right? And at the end of it, the movie ends with her finding out that she was misdiagnosed and actually isn't going to die at all. Right? <laughs> And so then, uh, as I'm watching it as a person that is like a, a planner in my head, I'm like, yeah, and you have no life savings left, right? But th the moral of the story and what she learns at the end of it is that, man, like, when you know that life is short, you, you do things differently. You think about your stuff differently. You think about priorities differently. You think differently about the way that you interact with people and when, when someone wrongs you, you kind of are able to shake it off because you go, you know what, like this would have bothered me, but like I have weeks. Like this isn't important and I don't have time to or energy or emotional bandwidth to devote to this. And so you let things go that you wouldn't otherwise let go. Right? And that's kind of the, the film. I would encourage you highly to watch it. It's a pretty it's a pretty cool movie that kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit, and it's funny, and if you need any more reason, it has LL Cool J in it, so, you know, if you don't know who that is, I'm sorry, but he's cool, it's in his name, right? Um, we're, we're talking over this idea about generous giving, and over the last three weeks, we've, we've looked at a, a lot of different things, and the reason I bring that movie up is because that movie gives us something that I think is helpful, and that's perspective. One of the things in this world that we so often culturally lack is just perspective. In anything we engage in, when we get politically heated, when we think about things like our money and our time and our treasure, when we think about relationships and who wrongs us and who said something that offended us and what matters and what doesn't, a lot of times we lack perspective, right? How many times have you had an interaction with somebody and they're furious with you, but, but they don't know that you've just had a really bad or busy week, right? Or you don't respond to someone right away, but it's just because like life is a zoo right now. And just take, like we don't think very often about the perspective of the world that we're in. Life is about 
perspective. And so we looked over this last three weeks, this is the last one about giving, and in the first week we, we talked about foundations of giving. We talked about kind of these foundational truths, these principles that underguide our, our generous life. Things like God doesn't care about your money, right? He cares about your heart and giving it, or God owns everything anyway. So you giving something to him isn't a beautiful gift from you to him. He already has it, right? So there's realities like that, or that money doesn't offer security, the second week, we looked at this actual meat of giving, things like how much should we give? How should we decide in our hearts what it is that we should be giving? How is it that we should give? What is the attitude we should have when we should give? What are some practical things that we should or shouldn't do? Right? We talked about why 10% is, is not, a, not a bad place to kind of give yourself as a goal, but it's not kind of a biblical mandate anymore. And we actually, if you want to be technical, it should be 20, right? Those kinds of things. We have all these principal things. And today I want to look at one last aspect of it. And I make you a promise. It'll be a mercifully short sermon. Um, just FYI, I did get the beautiful email Sunday night. Last week, giving was at an all-time high. It's the second time in a row that I preached 50 minutes or longer and giving was really high that week. So I'm not saying, but if it happens a third time, you might have to start sitting through hour-long sermons. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Today we're going to talk about the blessings of a generous life. Right? When we adopt these principles, when we start to understand how giving works, why God ordains it, that it's for us, not so much for others, even though it benefits, obviously, others. When we start to think about how much giving should be a part of our lives, what is the result if we can get behind what we've been talking about for the past few weeks, what happens in our hearts, our minds, our bodies, all the holisticness of our creation? What comes about as a blessing or blessings when we give and get behind these principles? Right? That's, that's the topic of today. And just a reminder before I get started, last week we, we had you guys on the way out grab some, some sheets that you could fill out. Right? If you didn't get one of those, we sent it out in the FYI as well. If you're here right now and you're thinking, I never, I don't know what you're talking about, or I, I forgot and it's sitting on my nightstand at home, or whatever, there are some, some ones in the back. I will not be offended if you, right in the middle of my sermon, just get up, walk back there, grab one, come back and sit down. Uh, sit next to your, your spouse or your family and you know, fill one of those out, or by yourself. I would encourage you to do that. At the end of the sermon, we're going to have just a time of, of prayer, and when we have our final song, we're going to bring those up and kind of offer those things to the Lord in a devotional way. You don't have to do that. No one's going to look at you funny if you just sit there when we're doing that. None of that. But if that's something that you want to kind of participate in, if you want to devotionally say, you know what, I want to commit to, 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 to giving this much of myself to the Lord, then you can, you can do that at the end. So feel free to just right now rudely get up. You can still hear me. I won't look at you funny. Don't go in the parking lot because then I'll judge you. But okay, fair enough. Okay. So here's some of the blessings. For, for this idea of looking at blessing, the text that I have in mind today comes from Luke 16, 19 through 31. So before anything, let's stand together and let's read that text as a body. Well, I read, you listen, as a body. Starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gates was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. 
And in Hades, being torment, he, lift up, he, he, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment." But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God indeed. This is a hard passage. This isn't one of those happy fun ones that we read and get all jazzed about. This is difficult stuff. We have, we have the rich man on one side and we have Lazarus on the other side. And, and the first thing I want to get into before we dig into this parable or its principles at all is to reestablish this because we, we get tempted by this all the time. God does not have a problem with rich people. You would think in scripture sometimes it's easy to assume that he does. But this isn't about their fate has nothing to do with their circumstance. Right? It's not that one is in torment because he was rich and the other is lifted up because he was poor, right? Not every poor person will be lifted up. Not every rich person will be condemned. It's about their actions. The presumption of this passage is less about what they have or don't have and more about what they did with what they had or didn't have or what their attitudes were about what they have had or didn't have. Does that make sense? So we're not talking about rich people. If your net worth is high in this room, this isn't a condemnation against you. But it might be a condemnation against your attitude. Does that make sense? Okay. Not a distinguishment between rich and poor. We need to get that. Now, the rich man isn't in hell simply because he's rich and does nice things. The rich man presumably is there because for his lifetime, he squandered. He lived lavishly. He used his money to benefit primarily, really only, himself. And in every pursuit that he had, the things that he followed after and sought after were his own comfort and own security and own well-being to a lavish degree, right? That's the way that it's described. It's this lavish life that is so far beyond anything that he could possibly ever want or need, right? This man lacked nothing on this earth. He bought what he needed and then some, right? Lazarus, on the other hand, has a, has a poverty to him. And what we presume in this passage is that the Lazarus had a heart that used the little that he did have to bless other people, to care, to be genuine about what the Lord had gifted him with, to take his lot in life and to walk in a manner that honors the Lord. And so he has the eternal reward. And we see them both in heaven and hell. And, and one of the things that we notice is there's, you know, we, we don't know if this is how it can really work because we don't really understand heaven and hell. But somehow the rich man in torment is able to see Lazarus and Abraham up in heaven. Right? It doesn't say up, but we just always think of it as up. And he sees what could have been, and he, he mourns, and it's, it's funny, he understands almost kind of his fate, right? He doesn't ask, can I somehow get there, 
He just wants a small reprieve. He said, look, could, could you dip your finger in water and just touch my tongue with it just to get a, a little bit of rest from the pain of this tormenting fire? Right? He says, no, there's this chasm. It, it doesn't work that way. And so he says, well, at the very least, could you, could you, send, could you warn my brothers, my family, because they've been, they're living like I am and they don't understand that this is what's on the other side of it. Could you just, could you just send someone to warn them? And he says, look, they have Moses and the prophets. Right? And that's not, a, that's not a mean kind of dismissive gesture. He's saying, look, they, they have the truth. Right? That's what Romans says. Those who, by nature of who the world is, like the, the, the world that we live in kind of beams the truth of God to people. Every single person has, through the nature and revelation of God, the ability to see and know the truth about who he is and to make that choice. And so no one is without excuse and neither are your brothers and your family. They'll listen or they won't. Right? And it's this stark warning that is provided to us. And so here's a dark passage and a warning passage, but we get something out of thing. We, we have to understand that, number one, each person is getting what they want in this passage. We alluded to it a little bit a week or so ago when we talked about hell being us getting what we want for those of us who end up there, right? And, and it's not this punitive thing so much as it's the reality that you've desired your whole life is given to you. The rich man sought his best life on earth. And that's exactly what he received. His best life, the best he would ever hope to have it, was on this earth. And then his life on earth ended. Right? Lazarus sought the eternal things. And he put his investments, his faith, his trust, his hope, all that he had into what came after. The eternal life with the Father. And so he also receives that which he wanted. This passage is an illustration of one of the greatest spiritual blessings of the generous life. When we are generous... This is principle one, blessing number one. When we live a life of generosity, we are depositing into an eternal bank account that we will actually get to tangibly reap from on the other side of this life. It genuinely is. You are building up for yourself. Scripture says building up treasure in heaven. Based on the generosity that you live in this life, you will build up treasures in heaven. Here's, here's one of the mistakes we make as a, as a faithful Orthodox church. Out there in the world, we see the health and wealth gospel, right? This idea that if you sow a seed, it's your best life now. You know, give, it, give $100, the Lord will give you $10,000 back. And, and that's a lie. But one of the mistakes we make as a church is we swing the pendulum too far the other way. And we start to think that there are no tangible rewards at all for life on this earth somehow. That Jesus died on the cross, which he did, to secure our faith, our future, as, as people with eternal life at the end of our life here, which he did. And that it's not about what we do on this earth in terms of salvation, but there are rewards in heaven. See, the prosperity gospel got it right. When you sow a seed, you do reap the reward. The only difference is, it's not your best life now, it's your best life later. I legally cannot encourage you to go to Barnes & Noble's, find Joel Steed's book, Your Best Life Now, Sharpie Out Now and Write Later, and then put it back on the shelf. I cannot legally recommend that any of you do that. But if you did, it'd be pretty funny. And I'd probably chuckle if you texted me a picture of it. Right? 
our best life is promised later. And the deposits we put into that bank account now will reap benefits later. When you live generously, this is a tangible, actual blessing. The Lord promises you eternal riches in heaven. It is accurate. It is true. It is biblical that you are depositing into an eternal bank account. That he's preparing a place for you. It's, It's your ultimate eternal 401k. It is. The ones that we worry about on this earth, they only last us till we're like 80, 90, 100 years old. Right? And if you believe the economy, probably not even that. Right? All of that's up in the air. Financial advisor, we talk about what's our social security estimate, and they just chuckle. <laughs> yeah, probably nothing. Right? Here's what it should be, but just assume that it's nothing. Right? Those things are fleeting and temporary. We can store treasures in heaven by being a people that live generously in this world. That's the principle number one. The other blessing, blessing number two, generosity of life, when we give generously of our time, talent, and treasure, what it does is it invites you into the kingdom work of God and what he's doing. I said before, God doesn't need our money, right? This church doesn't need your money. It'll sustain. The Lord will do with it what he wants to do with it. But here's, here's the other coin of that. Jesus, you know, the Lord doesn't need your money, but he sure does use it when it's given, right? The Lord can take a dollar and make it a thousand. The Lord will use the money that we invest. And part of why he calls us to invest is simply this. The Lord wants to somehow, for some reason, make us a part of the things he's doing. He wants us to share in the the working, the outworking, the ushering in of the kingdom of God. He could do it himself, he doesn't need us, but he wants us to be a part of it. And so when we, when we give, it kind of invests us mentally, spiritually, into the kingdom of work. It, it thrusts us into the middle of it and makes us participants rather than spectators. Right? We're saying, look, I'm not just going to come to church and sit and consume and hear the sermon and then go home and think about how it benefited me. And, you know, that word really helped me out today. Well, this sermon really didn't help me at all. Right? We're not going to be me-focused anymore. We're going to actually come in and we're going to invest in this idea of church. We're going to put our wallet into the midst of it. We're going to put our talents into the midst of it. We're going to give of ourselves with time, talent, treasure to make this place better, to shape it, to grow it. Right? It invests us in the kingdom. And the Lord wants us to be invested in ushering in his kingdom. He wants us to be participants. At the end of the day, when the new Jerusalem comes, we get to stand there with God and say, yeah, I was a part of this. Oh, man, how wonderful that I somehow got to play a role. It's like being on the winning Super Bowl team, but you were the kicker that didn't have to kick all week, all, the whole game. You still get a ring, right? The Lord invites us every once in a while on the field to kick. On a game that he's already won, 5,000 to zero, but we get to kick a field goal. He wants us to be a part of it. Every so often when I, when I clean in the house, Graham wants to help. And you know every single time when kids want to help, you could do it better, faster, more efficiently yourself. But what do we do? We invite our kids into the process so that they learn and grow and get to take ownership of things. And Graham is better at, at keeping things clean, or every once in a while will show this initiative of, because he's learned to, be, to, to kind of take ownership of it. Right? That's, the Lord wants us to have an ownership of the kingdom. 
He wants us to be in it, to be invested in it. And so when we begin to, to make conscious steps to live generous lives, it invests us in the kingdom. We have a stake in it now. We also then start to care about it a lot more, right? Do you care about what stocks do, are doing that you don't have investments in? No, right? I watched the other day, like, Twitter and Facebook are crumbling stock-wise. Guess who doesn't care? I don't have a dollar invested in Facebook or Twitter, right? They could die tomorrow. It doesn't matter at all to me. Now, there's some stocks that I'm like, ooh, Right? When we put money into something, when we put time into something, when we put talent and sweat into something, we care about its outcome and we become naturally more invested into things. God wants us to play a role in his kingdom work for our own sake so that we might be invested in how it grows and is ushered into this world slowly over time until he comes again. That's blessing number two. Blessing number three and four. There's, there's two that, that I think just warrant a little bit of a caveat. At times, I think what we do is we disconnect the, the realities of this earth from the realities of the spirit and God, right? We, we think of like earthly, bad, spiritual good. So when we start to, to dig into things like technology or, or medicine or our work and like the tangible ways the world might speak to us about the truth of God, we, we tend to dismiss those things in favor of, you know, what, what it says in God's word. And let me be clear, I never want the world to win out. Like, what this, this is the final authority. But there's, there's an actual name for the heresy of thinking that worldly things are bad and spiritual things are good. It's called docetism. It's an ancient heresy. It's this idea that somehow the world, even though God made it, is, is all bad. All physical realities are bad and all spiritual realities are good. And the reason I bring this up is because the next two blessings are actually very tangible, earthly, physical blessings that we, that we receive as part of being a generous living person, right? And so I want to encourage you. We just have to be careful that we don't distort or idolize these, but they are very real blessings, and they do affect us when we become generous givers. Here they are. When we give and live generous lives, it actually has profound effects on us mentally and physically. Our minds and our bodies, intangible, in physical medical ways are shaped by our giving and changed by our giving in real studyable ways. And there's a couple of places that we can go to. And if you want the sources for this, I'd be happy to send them your way. Uh, just some of the places I consulted for this is there. Dr. Susan Albers is a psychologist from Cleveland Clinic, our very own backyard. What a beautiful thing. Michael Norton is a Harvard Business School professor. He conducted a, a business study on, on this. Doug Oman from the University of California, Berkeley, did some studies about how, how, how medically people are affected with, with disease, with specific type of diseases, like chronic diseases, when they become givers. And Jorge Moll from the National Institute of Health. These are all studies that, that doctors have done over the years, and they're all within the last probably seven to eight years or so, that, that show us the profound effect that generosity and giving has on people. In, in one study, people were asked to perform random acts of kindness on a daily basis for six weeks, and while the control group was not encouraged to do any of that. And one of the things they found was there was a profound change in the mental health of the people that had started to give. And at the beginning of the study, each one of them said that they would rather receive than give. But at the end, those who had been generous for six weeks talked about the fact that they received more enjoyment and mental health and pleasure from giving than from receiving. And it was surprising to them, right? 
Some of them even talked about how they would struggle with depression. And I'm not going to say that giving cures depression at all. Do not hear me say that. Depression is a real condition. But they did notice a significant uptick in their mood and a significant decrease in episodes of depression that they experienced. So it doesn't cure, but it certainly helped. It scientifically, demonstratively helped when they started to live generous lives. And this is because biologically, it is ingrained within us to be generous givers. There's things that happen to us chemically when we give. Right? Dr. Albers from Cleveland Clinic will note this. There's three chemicals that are actually released as a part of generosity when we give to other peoples and we experience kind of the joy and the pleasure of serving one another and giving to another person. Increase in serotonin, which is responsible for regulating your mood. Right? An increase in dopamine, which is what gives us pleasurable feelings when you actually experience feelings of pleasure, that's dopamine being released within your body. And oxytocin, which creates this connection to other people. By the way, when you have sex, all three of those are released in epically large amounts. Right? Not trying to be funky here, but like there, there's chemical stuff at play. And, and we, think of, we, we think, well, why are we having this scientific conversation about giving? Because the Lord created our bodies. Like what we learn from these studies, what they learn is, well, there's medical correlation and we should give, in, give more and that makes us healthier. What we learn as Christians is the Lord designed us biologically, ingrained within our minds and our hearts and the fabric of who we are to be generous people. And what happens when we're generous is when we live into that reality, when we're doing what we're designed to do, what the body is made to be like and think like and act like, we feel more good about ourselves. We feel mentally healthier. We feel physically healthier. In the same way that when you eat the right foods, your body feels better. Right? God made you and I, created us from the ground up to be a generous people. Not just mentally, but from a health perspective as well. In 2016 in British Columbia, University of British Columbia, they did a study and they said that actually generosity has an effect on heart health. An actual effect on heart health. It lowered blood pressure to degrees that were undeniable and showed that it actually helps the heart. Even beyond that, it's been shown to show vast signs of improvement in chronic diseases and illnesses. It's insane. It removes chemicals from our mind and body, from our body that cause stress. And so stress decreases, which then prolongs life. When we give, it shapes us at a, at a biological and at a spiritual level. So we are blessed because we are depositing into a bank account of heaven. We are storing up treasures in heaven. We are blessed because we get to be part of the kingdom of God and we're investing ourselves in what he's doing and we get to say that we play a role in it because he wants to use us. We are blessed because it actually shapes us from a level mind-wise to be, to be in a better spirit of mind and it blesses us in the sense that it shapes and, 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 and helps our bodies to be better and to thrive more. A lot of the studies that I, that I was reading about especially talked about how it increases these, these benefits, these mind and health benefits in, in older people. 
That those who in retirement are, are ones that, that generously give and volunteer in places, that it actually keeps them younger longer. So if you're feeling a little old today, <laughs> go serve somewhere. It actually is beneficial, right? And again, these aren't, this isn't a science symposium. The Lord created us this way. He made us like that. It's the same way that when he commands us to take a Sabbath, he made us to run for six days and then rest so that we don't wear out and die, right? The command to rest isn't some begrudging thing. A lot of us don't like to slow down. He commands us to because that's how we have the most longevity. We actually are more productive if we rest than if we don't. How about that for backwards ways of thinking in the world, right? When you rest, you're more productive than if you don't. God designs us a certain way, and we shouldn't ignore these natural, these medical, these scientific ways of understanding the world so long as they align themselves with what Scripture teaches. And so you have these tangible blessings. Here's one final one, though. Well, really, two. Blessings create social connection within the world. Right? When you live in a world as a generous person, one of the things it does is it combats this idea of loneliness and isolation. And we live in a lonely and isolated world. Because when you give generously, especially, yes, of your money, but especially of your time and talent, by nature, you're connecting with other people. And a lot of times when you give, especially to another person, when, when you provide their need, when you work with them, when you meet, look to meet their need and pray for them and care for them and tangibly make their life better, it, it creates a connection with you and that person. There's almost an intimacy that arises out of generosity. And the Lord uses that to further his kingdom as well. Right? The Lord doesn't need your money, your time, your talent, but he sure uses it. And one of the ways he uses it is when we as a people live lives of generosity, when we invest into that kingdom, when we work in the world in such a way as to constantly be more worried about it than ourselves, people start to take notice. It's an incredible evangelism tool and a blessing to be generous because people will notice that that is the case. One of the biggest misconceptions of the world is that the people that aren't Christian are as generous as the people that are Christian. That's not true whatsoever. Right? By far, Christians statistically are higher givers than non-Christians. They're more philanthropic. If you look at the 50 top charities in the U.S., 40 of them are faith-based, most of those Christian organizations. That's not by accident, right? The idea of a generous life comes from Christ. It's not a world or secular idea. And yes, are there people that don't believe in Jesus who are very generous, philanthropic people? Absolutely. I'm not trying to discount that. But the motivations aren't the same. A lot of times they're more self-centered motivations than the people want to admit Christianity birthed generosity. Apart from Christ, we are a people who seek our own good over the good of others. And when we get out of that and we move into a generous life where we contribute and we give sacrificially of ourselves to the church, to the, to the people around us, to the ministries that are doing God's work, and to individuals, yes, to bless our neighbors and our friends and our family and, and those we encounter in the world, in the grocery stores, when we live that generous life, life, it screams gospel to the world that we're in. It absolutely screams it. The world might not admit it, 
But generous life is abundantly a Christian idea, and we as a people have the ability to affect how the world is evangelized by how generous we are. And so this morning, I just want to encourage us. Ultimately, generosity is something that we're called to, we're commanded. It's not not an optional thing. God is not saying, hey, if you want to have these blessings, you should be generous. It actually is a command. Like, if you aren't living a generous life, you are not living and pressing into what God is calling you to be like and do. You're coming up short of that. That is a hard thing to, to think about, but we do need to wrestle with that. God calls us to give, but he does it for our own sake so that our hearts can be shaped to know him, to trust him, to store up eternal treasure in a place where, place where moth and rust do not distor- destroy. So are we going to live into that? Or are we just going to fall into the way the world wants us to think? Where is our security? If you have those sheets, I just encourage you to take a look at them. Uh, and, and there's one thing that we, we didn't put on there, and that is the idea of time and talent. And so as we kind of close out and as we spend some time in prayer at the end here, I would encourage you to think about some ways that you might invest those as well and maybe write those down too. You know, I want to I wanna serve more in this area of, of the church or outside of the church. And then as we pray, I want you to kind of think about that. If you didn't fill one out, go grab one while we're praying. And then as we finish and close out with our final song for today, I just want to encourage you to just come and, come and place those on the table. You know, put them face down, fold them up, however you want it. And like I said, we promise this isn't, this isn't something we, we're, we're not looking for your names. We're not looking for anything. This is about you and the Lord and what you want to commit to him this year and, and how you want to be faithful in that. And we put it on his table as a devotional act, as, as an act that teaches us. It's not about our finance team or about your pastor, or about your session, but about you and God. Right. So I'm going to pray, and then I want to encourage us to just do that as we close our time in worship this morning. Father, we praise you. Oh God, we, we thank you that you are our giver. Lord, we, we sit and we, we wrestle with how much of what we have we should give up. And Lord, we forget that, man, every, every good thing that we have, every dollar, every roof shingle over our head, every bite of food, every blessed, beautiful gift of a spouse or children living in our house with us, every friend, every family member, every church family, every sunny day, every day off from work, the sand at the beach between our feet on vacation, all of these good things, everything we enjoy and are blessed by in this life comes from you because you are the ultimate example of generosity. You in every way have given of yourself to us, your people, who don't deserve anything. You've given not because you need something in return, but just as a display of your glory and your majesty so that we might see you for who you are. You give out of love, out of an abundance of your nature. And we're thankful. Lord, we, we are grateful for every good thing that we receive in this world. 
And before we even think about our own giving, we just want to express that gratitude in this room, Lord, that we, we are grateful for this church. We are grateful for the people over the years that have made a difference in it. We're grateful for all the times we have struggled in this place and have had wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside of us with love and support and hugs and meals and prayers and cards and, and community. We praise you for each and every one of us in this church who've experienced uh, widowship, who have found that we, we've lost a spouse, but we still have a family here. We're grateful for every time we've had medical issues and we've had meals provided through this community that, that is about giving, that we have received in abundance from this place that you have called into existence. And so we thank you. Oh, Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful that we could be sitting lonely and isolated on our couch at home right now, but instead we're in community. And even if we're online and not able to be here, we're, we're still participants through community in this kingdom that you've called together. Oh, Lord, we're thankful. God, we pray that your truth and scripture over the past few weeks might inhabit our hearts this morning. That as we start to reflect on what it is that you are calling us to do with, yes, our treasure, but also our time and our talent, that you might spur us, that you might shape us, that you might not guilt but convict us through your spirit. That whatever numbers we're, we're writing down or not writing down or having our hearts and minds or however we want to think about it, that you might be the one that guides those and that we would, with a clear conscience and a, and a, and a good heart, carry your work forward. We thank you that you call us to participate, that we're not just spectators watching the kingdom unfold, but that, man, you, you want us to be a part of it, that we get to share in the joy and the pleasure of watching your kingdom grow and be ushered into this world. And God, we, we can't wait until it's fully here. We get to live in a reality where, once again, everything truly is just owned by you. That we don't think of things as our possessions, but we all have our needs met and we live in this kingdom, this beautiful place, free of sin and darkness and strife and jealousy and, and holding on to things. But Lord, that we might have a day where all of us can just live with open hands and know that we're cared for. Thank you for this church. Thank you that you call it into being. Lord, we pray that we pray that giving might increase in this church so much that we have to think about how we can use those funds to bless the community around us. That we, in turn, as a church, can be more and more generous in our own giving. Not to hoard it for ourselves, not to build the best building, not to pad the, the church seats to, to be more comfortable. But, Lord, to, to be in this place that you called into being in Stowe and Akron and Kent Twinsburg and Hudson and Cuyahoga Falls and all the surrounding towns, that there might be just a benefit that comes out of this place. Lord, we praise you for the fact that your giving is so beautifully orchestrated that dollars that get put in a plate here somehow are helping to build a church on another continent because your kingdom knows no bounds. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. Together, God's people said, amen.